Okie dokie. Let's now turn to God's Word. And let's turn to the, to, the, to the Scripture text today. We're in John chapter 6. Next week you'll be happy to know that we are moving to uh, Matthew for Advent. We're moving to the book of Matthew for Advent. And this is our outline for today. If you can read, if you can see it, if you can purview it from wherever you are. So let's begin. I want you to take a look right in the text. And what I'll do is, um, you know, you've heard me complain about teaching on John 6. And this is going to happen again. I'm going to complain again. Because John just runs on and on and on. He just keeps going. And his stories often just keep going. And, 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 and sometimes, it, as a preacher, you're, sometimes you're looking for a soundbite. You're looking for something that's fairly easy to communicate on a Sunday morning. Something that's pretty digestible and pretty accessible, right? Well, that doesn't happen to John. John moves, not only, not only does he run on at times, or seem like he is, I don't think he is. He has this style of, he has this style of, um, of simplicity. Uh, the metaphors, the language, the, 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 the syntax, the grammar, everything about this is simple. It's for babies. It's for young. It's for people who don't know Jesus. It's for people who are new to God. It's, it's meant to be so, it's baby talk. It's God just going, it's what Jesus is doing. He's talking to you like a baby because we need that, right? So it's what we can understand. Now, because there's such a cultural gap and such a gap in time, well, some of that baby talk is lost a little bit. We don't quite, it doesn't get to us as easily. So, so I, I'm doing my best to make it come alive. Now, we're going to pick up the story right where Christ has done two major miracles, two amazing miracles. He fed 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish. He did the miracle in their hands, remember? He handed the bread to him who handed the bread on him. And the miracle happened. And it was incredible. Then he walked on water. And these two events, these two, they're not magic acts. They're proofs that he's the same God who brought them out of Exodus. He's the same God who brought them out of Egypt in the Old Testament. He's the same God who parted the Red Sea. He walks on water. He is the same God who fed them with manna. He feeds them again. And Jesus and John are, are suddenly, I repeatedly saying to you again and again, Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. If you're paying attention, Jesus is God. He is the I am. But in this text, if you're going to encounter Jesus as God, you have to encounter him on his terms. Does anybody remember what the people did after the bread and the water? It was before the water. After the bread, they tried to make him king. Now, it's a funny moment because... Why wouldn't Christ right at that moment go, okay, I am king. Because what does it mean for him to be sovereign, the sovereignty of God? God is the boss of what? Everything. God is the boss of everything. Jesus is the boss of everything. And then they try to make him king. And he says no. And then as they come after him and pursue him, he keeps retreating. Because something is happening that you're going to encounter today. If you're going to encounter it in your heart or you'll encounter it in your mind, somewhere you'll encounter it in this teaching today. Because God refuses and Christ openly refuses to come to you and deal with you and parlay with you on your terms. 
God is not here to agree with you. In fact, he make, Christ makes a point of disagreeing with you and disagreeing with me and disagreeing with what our intuition might say or we might think, oh, God's like this or God's like that or, or God. And Jesus wants to tell you, and he, and he says it again and again, God is not like what you think he is. And you imagine you have him crafted in your mind. You have a God that you have figured it out. Any God you've figured out ain't Jesus. Any God that you control or know is not the God of the Bible. Any God that you feel, that's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is thorny, difficult, terrifying, loving, kind, sacrificing, and judging. He is the boss of everything. I'm going to read the text now. They pursued him. And notice how he ruffled as he brings up his sovereignty. Let's ask ourselves the question first so we can understand the text the way John, the way John intended. Why did John, if you'll read this to me from John, why did John say he wrote this book? Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but they are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Father, we pray the word would do that in this room, in this time, by the presence of the Holy Spirit upon the speaker and the listener. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. They just asked him for more bread. They asked him for the bread. They want the bread that he gave them, and they want it all the time. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven. And not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me. That I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me. We're going to end here on this verse. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. Sovereignty. It's all over this text. It drips. You know, it's funny, I, I think sometimes we miss the majesty of Christ because it is so, he's so unassuming about it. In other words, he just walks in it. He just walks in grandeur. He walks in eternal grandeur. He can't help it. He is God. <laughs> he can't help it. And you hear it everywhere. You hear the things he says offhandedly. Do not think that I came to abolish the law and the prophets, it says in Matthew 5, verse 17. Now, th th just listen to that for one second. Do not think I came to abolish the law and the prophets. Okay, who was thinking that? In other words, he sees himself as the law and the prophets hang on him. He said, I didn't come to abolish it. He came to what? 
fulfilled. And what he begins to say is the Bible, your Bible, our Bibles hang in their, in their, their credibility and their, and their truth hang on him like he's a hinge. And they pivot on him. For pure grandeur. I mean, unassailable majesty. I mean, King of kings, Lord of lords, wonderful counselor, the great I am, the lion of the tribe of Judah, and his name is Jesus Christ. I love him. This is God's love language and sovereignty. It's the way he communicates love. It's how he is the boss of all things. Now, just this whole, this whole discussion goes to predestination, effectual calling, and perseverance of the saints. These are the words you may not, those words I just used may be unintelligible to you. They're very religious words. Predestination, effective love here, or effectual calling, and persevering love. We're going to unpack these because they're in the text. But I want to go back to Deuteronomy 29, 29. The revealed things belong to us and our children, but the secret things, the hidden things belong to God and Him alone. What is that? There is a work happening between God's choice and your choice, between God's choice and human choice, which is secret. And there's no other way to talk about it. It's just, a, and the Bible never resolves it. And it never says it's not God's choice. It never says it's not yours. It says in both fully, you must choose today. Juliana, you must choose today who you will follow. Oh, but I can say this just as fully. David, you will only follow as our Father chooses you. Which is true. Neither. And somehow in the mysteries of God's work as the boss of all things, from protons to presidents, from the Magellanic clouds swirling and making galaxies 100 million light years away to what Trump does. <laughs> wow. And everything in between. God says, I am king. It's everywhere. Take, did you notice we did it in our... We go back to the scripture that, that, that Peter, Peter, Peter put in worship. No, it's not worship. Right there in the, first, the call to worship. Look at the first page there. After, it says... Uh, look, it says, give thanks to the Lord, God of gods, whose love endures forever. And look at it, it starts listing great wonders, the heavens, the earth above the waters, great lights, the sun to rule over the day, moon and stars. And then he says, us in our lowest state and rescuing us and giving us food, feeding. And then, what, you see, the majesty, the pure, majestic kingliness of God is everywhere. It's just everywhere. And I don't know how people miss it. Except for this one thing. They tried to make him king. And we try to do it over. We try to make a king that we like. And not a king who will rule us in his love. And so, how we understand this and how can it help us? The first is his predestining love. God makes choices. It's here in the text. Christ even says, I don't do what I will. What does he say? Do the will of him sent me. This is really amazing. If you want to understand what God's choices are, look to Jesus. Because Jesus understands himself and his actions and his reactions, his pursuit of the cross, his death on the cross and blood, his rising from the dead. What does he say? That he is walking as the predestined one, the one appointed from eternity. And you, we are, if we're with him, we're walking in the same places. God's predestiny love. 
God makes choices. Now, for each one of these, I want to point out a darkness that comes out of it. Because there's a, there's a way of receiving what I just said and dying of death. There's death there if you don't receive it with faith. What I mean by it is this. How, what's the first thing people say? Why does God blame me for not choosing him? That's not fair. To accuse God. That's one response. How's the Bible respond to that? Yeah, uh, try it if you want. He's a judge. Sorry. That's, that's really what the scriptures say. He's the judge of all the earth. Sorry. He's not explaining himself. There's a second thing that happens in Christians, though, where they get lazy because of this. It's called fatalism. Oh, oh, you know, God's going to choose. Actually, this whole church has been thought this. It's an error. If God has chosen, then why do I have to work? This is laziness that comes in. But you know what it misses? This is not abstract. This is not a force that loves you. It's a person that loves you. This isn't a force that chose you indiscriminately like some sort of random lottery. No, this is a person of majesty who looked upon the eyes of Miguel and said, I will have him for my own. Why? I don't know. I don't know. It glorifies him somehow to have Miguel sitting there, Gina sitting there, me sitting here, and I'm there, and declaring here, and Grace it. Hey, just don't. He makes choices. Man, I, so I, was, I came to Christ. I grew up in a Presbyterian church with this predestination stuff, right? I, came around, I grew up around How do you respond to predestination? How do you respond to God makes choices? Makes choices about his will. How do you respond to that? What do you do with it? Like, like how do you, how's it practical? There's only one way to respond to sovereignty. And that is, pick me. I, I, what else is there? Choose me. Ooh, 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 Jesus. Ooh, Jesus. I mean, this is what, that's what we've been doing all morning. Don't you know that's what we, that's what pray or praise on. What is us doing? Jesus, over here, over here. Over here, Jesus, come over here. You get it? That's what we're doing. Over here, take care of who we love. Take care of us. And if you listen to those psalmists dripping with the majesty of God, what do they say? They say stuff like, hurry up. <laughs> they say like, hey, come over here. Where are you? Hey, don't leave me. That's what predestined love does. Is it forces you. It forces you to come to grips with God makes choices. And you've got to be, you need to figure out how do I get on the right side of those choices then? Because they determine everything. Ah. Oh. This is how you do it. Pick me. I, and this is how I experienced this this week. You know what I said about it this week? It really kind of, it was, it, I love how Jesus preaches to me all week. <laughs> well, I don't really love it, but I, I, <laughs> and that was this. I said, choose me and make your choice that I will choose you now. Like, like isn't that always what we're praying? Choose me Dad, choose me, but, but, but choose that I will no longer choose bad things. Help me to choose you. You can pray that. Don't you want to pray that? Choose me and choose this in me, that I choose you all the time. Oh, do you feel, I feel life there. I feel freedom, I feel joy, I feel, yes, yay, that's me. Pick me, Jesus, pick me. 
Second, praying is doing. Oh my, don't you realize? All right, so, if, look, put it this way. Look, there's so much frisson there. There's so much tension, isn't there? Intellectually, existentially, emotionally. What are you choosing, God? Why aren't you choosing what I have asked? Why don't you choose my mom, my dad, my, my career, my, my love? Why won't you? And we're, we're desperate, right? Praying is doing. Because at this moment, follow me here, at this moment, as your knees, you don't you don't pay no prayer knees, you probably should. And trust me, just trust me on that. You're, what are you, right here, I am talking about my choices to a God who chooses. And right there is all the fire of creation. God is on the move. And he answers prayer. Yes, because your praying is a part of his doing already. He is doing through your praying, and your praying is his doing, and many people do, and we're a part of it. And so we say, pick me, choose me, enact, and, and reveal your sovereign power in the world. Praying is doing. Oh, praise him. Christ's effective love. I use effective instead of effectual. I think effectual is the antique language from 1643. Effective love. So God makes a choice, but what else is How does he make these choices? We don't know, but how does he affect those choices? This is kind of strange. It's all over this text. Nobody comes to me. Did you read that text? Look on verse, uh, look, look, look at the text we're preaching from here. Look in verse 44. No one can come to me, what? Unless the Father, what? Draws him. What were they trying to do with this word effectual love or effectual calling? We, we read the uh, Westminster Confession of Faith right after our confession of sin, what is effectual calling? What is effectual? It's Christ's effective love. And what is he? God is irresistibly beautiful. That's how he does it. That's how he does it. That's how he saves people. And I, I don't even, it's wild, isn't it? I mean, in the end, you choose God because all of us would choose the most beautiful thing we could have anyway. We're, we, we love beauty. We do. We choose beautiful houses, beautiful banks, beautiful things, beautiful couches, beautiful TVs, beautiful shows. We, we love beauty. I mean, and, and, and we love it when Stacey has a gift for, for beauty. Someone's having, and we, that's beautiful. We, we know it. We love it. We see it. So God does that because he's beautiful. What does he do? Oh, he's just like finally just shows up what he really is and then you you fall in love he just shows who he is and you are drawn praise him <laughs> that's how he does his work it's this, it's this beautiful and what does this mean what's one of the reasons what's one of the things we might uh, the dark a dark side of effective love like what how does how if that's received without faith how is it death and I think I wrote that down what I was thinking um, oh, there, well, there's a, there's, a, there's a bad interpretation here. You may have heard this. Some people say this. Jesus just puts you to the point where you can make a decision. Has anybody ever heard that? There is an interpretation of this text that teaches something false. And that is that God took McLaren and just brought him to this special place of choice making. And in that choice making place, McLaren chose God. And that's what the drawing was. It doesn't work. If you read the text, it's all one group. Look, look how it reads. No one can come to me unless what? The Father sent me, draws him, and what happens to that person who is drawn? 
they're raised up on the last day. It, it's, 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 it's one group. It's not, I call some, some don't go, and then some I raise. Or I call some, and then some refuse, and some say yes, and some I raise, and some I don't. No. All that I call come. All that come, I, they come to heaven, and all those who come to heaven I will raise up in the last day. Whoa. What's, uh, what's, um, what's this say to us? Hope for all. Uh, I just think we have, a, we have a nasty habit of writing people off. We just do. Uh, people have written me off. My, my parents were drug dealers. People write, people probably wrote you off before. Uh, we write people off all the time. And we do it in sneaky ways. We write people off by not even seeing them. They don't exist to us. The homeless, the poorest, the poor, the, we don't see them. Well, then there's no hope for them. Or we look at, a, we look at, uh, at people in bondage to sin or people who are celebrating lifestyles we don't like or don't agree with or don't think are good or cool or, or wonderful or, and we outright know there's sin here or there. But all this comes in and what do we do? We have a tendency to do what? To write people off and not have hope for all. See, Christ... Love. One of the one of the things I found about his effective calling is how he likes he delights in surprising us. He just delights in it. He delights in calling Tom or delights in calling me or calling. He, there's this wonderful surprise in him. Don't you want to find it? Well, I want to find it. I want to find the people who would be really surprising if they came to Jesus. Why not? But the second thing this does, and it's so beautiful. Good heavens, Miss Sakamoto, you're beautiful. Does anybody remember that's from? Gosh, you guys are all so young. Gina got it right away. She blinded me with science. It's a song from the 80s, 1982 to be precise. And I was 16 years old. All right, so she blinded me with science. God is irresistibly beautiful. And in, this, in the song, Thomas Dolby wrote this song, uh, She Blinded Me With Science. You may have heard that song. But it's funny, he put this name in just so he could have a really beautiful Japanese woman in the video. That was the only reason he did it. He didn't have anything, she's a made up character. He just did it just so he could have a really foxy Japanese girl that he knew in the video. His videos had just come out in 82. But here's something funny. How does God appear beautiful in this world? Well, it's supposed to be us. It's supposed to be. Christ is going to make this point very, very clearly. How shall they know that, that God is here? By what? By how we love each other. You see, our love, our, our freedom, our forgiveness, our joy, our, our purity together, our hope together, we're supposed to be beautiful in this world. You see, we are supposed to be the way God is effectively calling and, and, and even as it were, revealing his beauty in the world. How will we do it? He'll do it if we're beautiful, like he is. And I see it around me. I see beauty in us. God is making beauty out of us. In our little church, he's carving out this love for people to wonder and, and look and be amazed. I was telling uh, somebody recently about the, the free will offering that came up to, 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 to remove the debt of some of our members. And people, nobody does that. Let's boast about these things that Jesus is doing among us. Let's boast about them. And let, let people be evident. And what, what happens? People are drawn. They don't, who are these people? And why? Why do they have such love and confidence and joy and intimacy together? 
Father, make us the effectual call to San Francisco. Amen. Wouldn't that be sweet? If we're that, <laughs> that's wonderful. Something else is happening in Texas now, and this finally is this persevering love. Christ's persevering love. What does that mean? God never lets go. I wanted to change these points here and because, you know, there's so many ways to, to take this truth and, and make it have application. But, but, but there's a darkness to this last one, persevering love. A lot of people are taking this idea that once you are saved, never, God will never let you go. As you ever heard of this expression, once saved, always saved? Has anybody ever heard that? Once saved, always saved. Oh, it's so true. But every time I've heard it, it's being used in the wrong context. And what I mean is... It's a wonderful truth, but usually when people are saying it, they're saying, I shall live in this relationship, let's say it's adulterous or, or, uh, or sinful, I'll do this, and it's okay, I'm saved. I don't have to worry, because Jesus, I'm okay because I gave my life to Christ at camp when I was 12, and however I live or whatever I do or wherever I go, however I live and whatever I say and whoever I hate and whoever I hurt, it doesn't matter, I can do as I please. That is unbelief. You see, that is the darkness. That is taking God's love and ripping it out of his heart. Ripping it out of his love and his life. It's absconding with God's love as in cheapening it. And twisting it into a perversion for our own lusts and desires. How terrible is that? Anybody who does such a thing knows not God. Because God's not in him. Because God is in you. You can't do that. Uh, well, it's funny. You can't do it. We can't do it for long. How many of you have tried? Uh, anybody here tried to run away from God for any length of time? Anybody really run from God and get back? It didn't work, did it? You're used to going back to me on that? Okay, great. All right. So, God's persevering love. God never lets go. Let me first put the first point. Answer is, but I did blank. Or I do blank. Or I am. Fill in the space. Does? Is there a sin that disqualifies you from your hope of grace? You know, there is, but don't worry about it. You can't commit it and worry about it. So, if you're worried about it, praise the Lord. What am I saying here? This expression, but I did, when that comes out of your heart, but I did this, God. I did this to him. I slept with this woman. I ran away with this one. I took this work. I did this. I hated you. I didn't give. I didn't listen. I, didn't. I ran. I ran so far. I did all this. I didn't. Hold up. Hold up. Hold up. That regret of the soul is a fruit of the Spirit. Praise him and return to him. Don't let Satan entered right this point, or, or some deception enter in and rob you of when you say, but I did, the next phrase should be what? But still, he loves me. But still. You see, God has permitted a lot of failure in your life. Remember, he's king, he's boss of everything. And he has permitted a lot of failure in your heart. And you wonder why. Well, I'll tell you why. God is not fond of proud people. He wants to take you to this little school here. But I did blank. Or I didn't do blank. 
still loves me. You see, that was meant to include that wonderful grabbing of Jesus that's always available to us, no matter how far we have strayed. The Hound of Heaven. You've read this poem, The Hound of Heaven? This wonderful man, I forget what his name was in this poem, he, he describes his own life as God through relentless pursuit for him and, and finally getting When you have regrets, God is pursuing you in those regrets to bring you a bend to the cross and to all the freedom of his love. Praise him. Praise him. He never fails. Finally, he's able to make you stand. And I, you know, this is hard. I, I am. One of the hardships that my, my wife has Right here. I told her she can quote this to me if she wants, but, and she will. Um, I hope. And that is this, um, there's a hypocrisy that comes into my heart as your pastor, where I think my sin is greater than God's love. It just does. I, I struggle with it all the time. I just think I'm too evil. I'm too bad inside. So, when she calls me out about that, what is she doing? What is she doing? What's she doing? She's driving me back to God's love language. She's driving me back to Him. He's persevering. Love is on you. He's yes, yes, amen. And the reason I brought that up is this last one. He's able to make you stand. Um, I shared this with some of you. Um, you know, facing the, you know, my mom's cancer. And the hardships lately, things like that. Um, and I, uh, I just said to God, I don't know how I can feel more pain and still be alive. You ever felt like that? Like, surely this is too much pain. After this pain, I'm not going to keep living, right? And then you go through the pain and you're still there. You're kind of like, well, I, I must die if I feel this bad. Well, I'm waiting, and you don't die. You just keep feeling awful. You have suffering. So what do you do about suffering with God's persevering love? Hmm. Well, then I think uh, Jesus calls the disciples friends in John 17. 16, I think, 16, 15, 16. He calls them friends. And I was meditating on that because the eternal God called them back. All the majesty calls us friends. <laughs> it's amazing, right? The unbeat, unassailable, unbelievable, extraordinary majesty of God. And what does he call you? A buddy. <laughs> a friend. Hey, buddy. And I was reading the song, this Proverbs, where it reads, the wounds of a friend are faithful. Have you ever read that text? The wounds of a friend are faithful. And I realized then nobody fulfilled that like Christ did. Right? And he has wounded you, hasn't he? How, how many of you have felt the wounds in your life? Anybody else want to raise their hand? Anybody else hurt me? Of course you are. But if the wounds of a friend are faithful, the sovereign God is the boss of everything. And he has done nothing but love you every time he has wounded you. Because he has driven you again and again where? Back to him. 
many of us, when we hear God is the boss of everything, want to do this. That's not fair. We want to shake our fist in heaven. Trust me, they all leave him. Do you know all these people in this text, in this Bible text? You know everybody, 5,000 people leave. You know how many remain? 12. That's a big, big church problem. That's a big attendance issue when you go from 5,000 to 12. Even if we went down to 12, I'd freak out. And that wouldn't be that big of a shift. But what's my point? Christ has to break through all of their preconceptions. He has to destroy the way they want to make him God on their terms. And let me tell you, please, I beg of you, stop trying to make God on your terms. Come to your terms or define him on your terms because he will not. His majesty demands he will not submit to the terms of defect. He just won't because that would be beneath him. It would be beneath him to determine any of our terms. But then, in this wonderful switch, he, he meets us in his love in our suffering. And he himself suffered. And he meets us in dark places where he's still king and he's still telling us of his love and he's still building something new because he's able to make you stand and he will make you stand. You know what perseverance is? You know how doctors say? Everybody who God has chosen will persevere to the end. That's what perseverance means. But what does it mean for you personally? However you run, whatever you've done, and however you've suffered, your trials are a precious, precious work of God's Praise him. Praise him. <laughs> I have 5,000 books in my library. Doesn't that impress you? That's why I bought them all. There's nothing like when somebody walks into your library as a pastor and they see 5,000 books behind you. They're so impressed. They don't question anything you say. They think, and some people, sometimes people would say, have you read all those books? And I would say, truthfully, I have read some of them twice. That doesn't mean anything, right? <laughs> A number of those books are very dusty. And they talk about dusty things like the sovereignty of God and predestinate, predestination. Five souls. Some of you this could help you in your love life to impress people. Five syllable words. I, I despise all that dust now. Those books, they're good, but they don't mean the same thing to me anymore. Because I want a sovereignty that's not written down on the page. I want to know a sovereign love that is written in my soul and in my heart and in my life and days. I want his sovereign love all over my life, all over my marriage, all over my heart, all over my family. Praise him. Praise him. Let's pray. Father, I pray that this sermon would be pleasing in your sight, that there be something here of use to people and to your servants and your children. I pray that anything that's not of you would fall away. I thank you for your love that has outlasted all my days and will outlast even to eternity. I praise you that you have loved me and you chose us. Father, many of us have a hard time with some of this teaching or we're confused by it or alarmed or, or, or just frustrated. Uh, Father, Will you choose to show us your love in this? Will you choose us to understand it? Well, we can ask that. Will you choose us to understand it better and make that your choice for us?
so we can praise you as you should, as you should, and we can worship you as the boss of everything and praise you as you deserve. As we come to the table now, I pray we do so by faith. In Jesus' name, amen. On the night he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread and broke it, saying, this is my body, which is for you, take and eat. And in the same way, he also took a cup of wine. This is wine here to the right for those who prefer it. And he said, this is my blood, tip for forgiveness of sins, take and drink. Now, um, one thing that I didn't say in the sermon, you know, if you notice this, because I always like this, I want to do it. I didn't talk about Jesus' blood and body, you know, about his sacrifice for sin. I didn't really talk about that because I knew I could do it right now. Here's his sovereign love. Do you choose this, Peter? Yeah, amen. And all I just described was the choice of God. <laughs> amen. It's, it's that simple. I can't understand it. But we just said the same thing. You hear? We said the same thing. <laughs> Praise him. So he took bread, he broke it, he said, this is my body which is broken for you, take and eat. In the same way, he also, after, after dinner, he said, take this blood, this wine, and drink it for my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. You see, if you trust this, you're choosing life, you're choosing eternity, you're choosing him, you're choosing his majesty, you're choosing it all. It's right here. It's life, eternal life. Ah. Yeah. Praise him. <laughs> okay. That's the gospel. That's the good news. In a wrapper. Now, I have a warning, though. I have a, an, alt, an anti-altar call. I must insist that some of you not take this table. If you think you're a good person. Do you hear this? Jesus came to save sinners, not good people. And if you come to God to present yourself as a good person, then you're doing just what those people were doing in John 6. And you're saying, I'm coming to God on my terms. And God says to you, I reject you. I reject your terms. I reject your goodness. Come to my son. Choose the son. Choose life. Now, if you're a sinner and you have this, but I did this, Chris, but I didn't care this week, but I looked at porn this week, but I went and I didn't give anything in tithe this week, and I have it in weeks, and I know who you are, and you guys need to repent. But whatever this is right here, right? Whatever it is you said or think you did, this is your table. Come and get it. Come and get it. Jesus died for sinners whose trust is in him. Choose life. If you're a sinner, choose him. Amen? Choose him again today. Amen. Oh, praise him. All right. If you're an atheist, maybe you're a skeptic, and you find my claims outrageous, uh, unsettling, disturbing, uh, fanatical, great. You've been listening to So <laughs> you've actually been listening if you think that. So uh, if, if, you, if, if you are a skeptic, then I would ask you to watch us. And perhaps I'm, I'm praying that one day you'll envy us that we know a God and have been loved and chosen by a God in his love. <laughs> so, all right. Uh, let's, 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 stand. let's stand up. Oh, Christian, tell me. Well, Christian, what do, you, what do you believe? We uh, believe in God, the Father Almighty. Maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born in the Right hand.